we tried to be so careful as a family. I remember one night praying with our kids at the foot of our bed, wanting, I mean, just begging God in those prayers to protect how our kids see God. Mm, right. and, and just praying like, God, that they see the church is not perfect, but God, you're still good. Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Preaching Donkey Podcast. My name's Lane, I am your host. It's so awesome to have you joining us today. We have an incredible interview for you. Josh Duncan, the pastor of the Grove Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee, joins me. You just heard a little bit from him earlier. He's going to talk about all kinds of things in this conversation from the difference between planting a church and revitalizing a church and what you need to take into consideration if you're considering those two different options outside of just is God calling you to one over the other. But all things being equal, how do you decide whether you're going to be a church planter or you're going to step into an existing church and attempt to revitalize it if that's needed? We talk about hurts in ministry. We talk about the pain that sometimes you can go through when uh, your family is exposed to some some hard times in ministry. And Josh is going to get very real and very transparent. And I think you're going to be encouraged by his authenticity and his vulnerability and the fact that even though he's been through a lot in his ministry, and he's going to share about those things, he has not gotten cynical. He still believes in the mission and the vision and the calling of God to make disciples. And that is inspiring to me. I really loved sitting down with him. So that's a little bit later. You're going to love that. Welcome to this episode. If you're just joining us, this is the Preaching Donkey Podcast. We talk about how to improve your preaching, how to do sermon prep, sermon delivery, church leadership better and make a bigger impact um, in your community and for the kingdom. And so if you're new, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit the like button, subscribe. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pandora or iHeartRadio or any of those any of those options, we're on all of them. Definitely subscribe on there so that this pops up every Thursday when a new episode comes out. And if you haven't left a review on one of those, especially Apple Podcasts, please do because the reviews really help for other people to see and hear. One of the things that I love about Preaching Donkey is getting to hear from you, the community of people, the thousands of pastors at, at this point who follow Preaching Donkey either on YouTube or you listen to the podcast or you've read one of our books. And there's a video that I put out a, a little while ago called Overcoming Nerves, how to, how to not be nervous when you preach. Like if you're going to preach and you feel nervousness, how to overcome that. It's very common. And one of the things I mention in that video, and you can watch it over on our YouTube channel, just put in Preaching Donkey Nervousness and you'll find it, or Overcoming Preaching Nerves. One of the things that I talk about in that video is that being nervous is not necessarily an indication of the fact that you, you're not good at this. I mean, it's really just your body's way of kind of recognizing that this is important. What you're about to do is of consequence. And so you have a heightened sense of awareness. You have a kind of a faster heart rate. Uh, you get that fight or flight sensation that you get when you're nervous or you're scared. 
And uh, that eventually goes away as you preach more and more and you get more used to the situation, you start to kind of calm down. But especially when you're new to preaching, that happens and, and you can be nervous and that's okay. So I talk in that video about, I give five suggestions of what to do before a sermon, particularly if you experience nerves. And it's very practical and it's very straightforward. But I got this, this uh, comment uh, from this person that says, what do you do if you are not prepared? And this is a good question because I, I think in my video, I assume that you are prepared. Okay, it's the day of the sermons, the morning of, and you're ready to go, but, um, but you're still nervous. What do you do? But his question is, what do you do if you're not prepared? What if you do if you get to the day of the sermon and you haven't really put in the work? You haven't prepared your message. What do you do then? Well, the way I would answer that question is don't ever be unprepared. <laughs> Just like a simple answer. But let me back this up a little bit. Years ago, I was listening to Craig Rochelle and someone was interviewing him about his sermon prep process, how he prepares a sermon, how he delivers a sermon. And somebody asked him, and, and they kind of just assumed, they said, you know, you know how it is, the last minute Saturday night sermon preparation where you're just cramming for a sermon. You know, you know how that is. And Craig looked at him. I, I don't remember who it was that was interviewing him, but Craig looked at him and said, no, no, I never do that ever. Just not even a question. I, I never last minute prepare a sermon. And I sure as heck never show up to a sermon ill-prepared. And I was very young in my ministry at the time, but I remember watching that and just deciding that's going to be me. I, I'm just not going to ever be unprepared. Even if I have to stay up all night, you know, some night that week getting it done, I am going to be prepared for the sermon that I'm going to preach. So, and so far, that's been the case. A lot of it has to do with just building in deadlines through the week that even, even if they're self-imposed, you know, you set the deadline. I must finish the sermon by Thursday at 2 p.m., no questions asked. That ensures that it's not going to bleed over into Friday, which for a lot of pastors is our day off. It's not going to bleed over into Saturday, and it's not going to be a Sunday morning cram session or a Saturday night cram session. So the biggest way to overcome being nervous before you preach is to just never be unprepared. Always be prepared and always have an assurance that even if you're nervous, even if you feel this sense of like, oh, this is a big deal and I'm, I'm nervous about this, it's not because I'm not prepared. I am ready. I'm as ready as I can possibly be. So that when you get up there to preach, you've done those people a service. You have not, you have not done them a disservice by showing up not ready to go. So that's my encouragement. I really appreciate the comment. I really appreciate him checking out the video and leaving the comment. And that's how to answer that question. Just don't ever be unprepared. And obviously, the good news is, is that um, every sermon that you preach, you have an opportunity to now be prepared. So if you've done this in the past and you've done last minute prep or you've shown up unprepared, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. It is what it is. Okay. Learn from it. And from this point on, just don't ever let that happen again so that you at least give yourself that advantage and give yourself that edge. And like what Craig Rochelle said, it's not even a question. You're just going to be prepared, period, end of story, full stop. Or you're not going to get up and preach. 
but th- there's no getting up unprepared. There's no getting, there's no walking in the church on Sunday going, I don't really know what I'm going to say, but I hope everything comes together. That's not wise. And it's not a good stewarding of your calling. So that's my encouragement to you. You can check that out on our YouTube channel. And I also want to put something in your hands. You can go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. You can pick up my free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. It's a three-week, three-step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a compelling message. So in terms of being nervous, it will actually give you the tools for how to prepare and be well-prepared for your sermon before you preach it. And I think that's really, really important. So I'm going to give you that tool. I'm going to put it in your hands so that you don't ever have to walk into a sermon unprepared. PreachingDonkey.com slash 21 days. All right, now we're going to go to our interview with Josh Duncan. I met Josh about three years ago when I moved to Knoxville to serve at One Life Church. He is a part of, he's the lead pastor at the Grove Church, which is a church that's in our network. We partner with them a lot. So he and I struck up a friendship and I've preached at his church a few times. And it's been really cool just to get to know him and his heart for people, his heart for the Lord, his heart for ministry. And so this is one of the few interviews that I was actually able to do in person here at my house because he's local. And uh, I just love his heart for persevering and just saying, if this is where God has me, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it because this is what God's called me to do, and He has not lost heart, and that's been awesome. We're gonna talk in this interview, like I said, about church planting and revitalization, but more importantly, we're also talking a lot about family and the importance of loving and leading your family well, even when ministry gets tough. And I think you're really gonna love everything about this. I can't wait to show it to you. So without any further delay, let's go to the interview with Josh Duncan. Hey everybody, today we've got my good friend Josh Duncan with us. He is the pastor at the Grove Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we're able to do this interview today in person. Josh Duncan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Yeah, man. I'm so glad to be here and uh, just excited to talk, uh, talk whatever we get into today. So uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, so one of the things that we like to do in these in these interviews is just kind of get to know you, the person, mm-hmm. before we kind of get into tactics and strategies. So can you tell me a little bit about your journey getting into ministry and what got you to where you are today as the pastor at The Grove? Yeah, so um, I'll give the very condensed version of a story that has all kinds of <laughs> twists and turns, but so I grew up in a tiny small town and... Um, any pastors or people working in church that I saw, that it was always pretty much bivocational. You had multiple jobs, multiple tasks. So um, I had this dream of being a teacher, uh, coaching ball, and then I was going to work at a church as well. And so that's kind of what I set out to do and didn't know exactly what that would look like. And I um, got married about 15 years ago and was just kind of doing that thing. I was teaching schools, coaching some sports, and then uh, God just started moving us into uh, ministry in a different setting and stepped into full-time ministry doing doing student ministry. And uh, But I think we, Jennifer and I both, knew that God was birthing something in us um, to really reach out to those that just didn't connect with church as normal. <laughs> and so um, I guess about 2010, we transitioned out of student ministry. We didn't do student ministry very long and stepped into the the fabulous world of church planning and all the twists and turns that come with that. And so I uh, just learned a lot through that season of church planting and really learned a lot about ourselves, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit with just identity and what it means to really 
follow Jesus as a disciple, not just as a pastor, but what does that look like as a disciple? And um, and so we had a, had a great season of church planning, ended up through that network, uh, moved to Michigan for a while, which is a big change for an East Tennessee person to move to right outside of Detroit, yep. Michigan. Uh, culture shock and weather shock, just oh, a little man. bit. So, a little cold there. Yeah, just a tad. We moved in uh, to Michigan with 16 inches of snow on the ground and... Um, sub-zero temperatures and it was like what what have we got like what have we done you know but we had a uh, so we moved to Michigan thinking like this is where God's gonna have us for a long time and um, it ended up we call it our two-year mission trip to Michigan um, and we were working to kind of help revitalize a church and also doing some leadership coaching around the state through our network. And um, God taught us a lot in that season. It was a difficult season. Uh, we had a lot of struggles just internally within the church. Um, but got to see some people come to Christ and just really saw, saw some discipleship stuff really start to ripple out and we beyond the church setting. And uh, But all that, God was uh, God used all these journeys from student ministry, from teaching school to student ministry to um, church planning to moving to Michigan, I think to prepare us for where he has us now. Um, and so in uh, 2017, we moved back to Knoxville and uh, stepped into the Grove Church. And it's just such a God story of the Grove was started in 2010. So the church was about seven years old when I took over. And I took over from the founding pastor. He had just kind of felt like his time was up. And we had a, uh, an amazing transition. We co-led together for a couple months. God had his hand all over it. And then um, unfortunately, about eight months later, uh, the founding pastor, Scott, um, unexpectedly passed away. And um, so I go from taking over in May to preaching his funeral mm. in February. And um, and so just to see God working in all of our twists and turns of our journey and ministry, um, preparing us for this season and just the uniqueness of all that. Um, so that's kind of how, how we got to where we are. A lot of twists and turns, but man, we've learned, learned a lot over the last several years. Yeah, you know, you you have an interesting perspective that I feel like a, a lot of people could learn from in that yeah. you have done both church planting mm-hmm. and church revitalization, yeah. okay? Yeah. So kind of the two extremes of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that experience, what would you say for those looking into, I, I thinking about planting a church, mm-hmm. or maybe there's this church that's, you know, knocking on my door that is really struggling what would you say to that person? I mean, aside from the calling of God, yeah, right? Yeah. If they're just like all things being equal, looking at both mm-hmm. situations, how would you advise someone mm-hmm. on uh, on what route to take? Yeah, well, I think if there's one thing I've seen, uh, both are extremely hard. Um, I, I can't, there's pros and cons with both. You know, I mean, I remember in seminary, they would joke um, in church planning classes, they would say, well, you know, it's always easier to give birth than it is to raise the dead, you know? Yep. And it's like, so so go to church planning because that's so much easier. Yeah, it's not a waste know? of time. It's not a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I believe the sleeping giant in our country is the established church. And if, if, the Holy, if we could catch a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit in our already existing gatherings and churches, I mean, what, what could, the possibilities are endless, you sure. know, of, of what God could do. So um, I, either one is tough, but I would say you've, you've got to realize that um, you, you've got to be in it. Like, it's going to take time either way. Um, and uh, you pay attention to your gifting, to what you feel is, is, your, is your sweet spot. Um, if you're more of a, hey, let's get something started thing, 
Um, you're going to have a really hard time being patient trying to turn something <laughs> from within. Um, so don't try to force yourself to fit in a box maybe that you don't fit into. That would probably be my biggest thing. Stay true to who you are. Sure. Um, and you got to realize about, you know, realize who, how who you are is going to play out in those different scenarios. So if you tend to be more fast moving, wanting to get things, um, you know, flipped quickly, I would say church planning may be your, your better option. Not that it can't happen in a revitalization work, but there's almost a lot more deconstructing that you got to walk through on the front end um, that's going to make that more difficult. And sometimes you're just not, you know, sometimes we're just, that's not how God's wired us. So sure. it puts you in a tough spot and then it puts the church in a tough spot. Right. Too. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I think you know I, I met a guy one time who was is a you know a fellow pastor, and he was talking about his church and their vision, and he just flat out said he just made mm -hmm. this declarative statement: uh, "We don't need any more new churches. Mm -hmm. We're done planning churches. We revitalize." And he mm -hmm. was presenting it as the better, more noble, the, the way God would have it. Like we're the ones following Jesus and what He wants, which is no more churches. Yeah. And I, I sat there and I just kind of listened and I thought, wow, well, how do you know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you say to the guy who's been called to plant for a specific reason in a specific place? I, I just thought that was kind of silly because mm -hmm. like you said, what do you say to the person who doesn't have the makeup or the patience to do a revitalization mm -hmm. and really feels a, a strong compulsion to plant and is a and, and wants to do it in a specific place for specific people. So mm -hmm. I feel like there's room for everybody. Yes, and, yes. and I think what you said is so true because the way God has wired you and what he's called you to do is going to have such a huge impact mm -hmm. on that. Yeah, sure. yeah, definitely. And, and I think if, if anybody's watching this and you're thinking revitalization might be your route, um, it, it has to be the right situation. I mean, right. unfortunately, we would love to see every church revitalized, but um, they have to want it too. And right. I think that's something that's, and that's so hard to gauge on the front end of, you know, because you can want it all day long to see this church revitalized, but um, that church has to want it too. And so there, there are those right settings though. I mean, I came into a church that was seven years old, so it, it wasn't really a, an old, uh, older established church. Yeah. Um, it wasn't quite a church plant either, um, but uh, the church was ready um, for some revitalization, even sure. though it was only seven years old. So um, I think it's, it's just about, there's so many factors that come into play, but um, yeah, yeah I, think it, I think it begins, but you got to know yourself as a leader. I think that's a great starting point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's with, with revitalization, um, you have to be willing to take so many hits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I know, I know, you know, you, you've talked a little bit, uh, about your journey there, but what were some of the times where you're in this place and you're just like, gosh, this is, I, I don't know if I can keep going. Oh, wow. Is there any of those stories you can share? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I thought, I thought when we moved to Michigan that I was like, this is it. Like I grew up in established church. I had some time in church planning. I'm like, this is, I mean, that's why we packed up and moved to Michigan because sure. we were like, this is it. Revitalization is what I'm, what I'm called to, and this is the church that God's leading us to. Yeah. Um, what I found out was, you know, there were there were just some things that God was wanting to it continue to develop yeah. in me. Sanctification and, is still part of the yes. And, and so uh, for me, honestly, um, we had been there about about a month, and um, I was I was already realizing I didn't I didn't know the depth of some of the struggles that were there in the church. And I just remember praying with God one morning. He took me to James chapter one, and um, just reminded me that um, there's there's joy in the journey, 
And in this season, he's going to teach me how to be joyful um, and let him do the work of completing me and maturing me. And, um, and, and in the midst of the perseverance and the trials. And so I was like, oh, gee, thanks, God. Like, could you have told me that before we right. moved to Michigan? Right. And um, so uh, there, there were so many moments over that uh, period where I just remember uh, having to go back to that. Um, and I, I think, I think the thing is you, you have to hang in there. Um, what if God doesn't, if you know, God's led you there, um, we have, you have to hang in there, um, and let God complete the work that he has for you in that season. And, um, and we, and we, I can tell you stories of people like stalking our house and like, it got weird. We can do a whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on the things that went wrong in our move to Michigan. Yeah. Um, and that, that could be a whole other episode. But um, we hung in there as long as we possibly could because I didn't want to tap out too early. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and so we, we hung in there as long as we could until God said, you've learned what I wanted you to learn. Here's what I have for you next. Um, but, man, there's, there's so many little things I could jump off on. But... Um, you once you dive into it, there's got to be this spirit of persevering that's in there, um, and God's the one that gets to tell us when we get to tap out. Yeah, um, it's yeah, that's yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, I I hope that's encouraging to to people who might be in the middle of that because mm-hmm. I think sometimes you know part of the the struggle of of not just if you're in a church revitalization it could be mm-hmm. any position you have in any church. When there are people who are upset, people who who don't understand the mission or the vision, or who feel like uh, everything, like oh, it's almost as if they they want you to fail mm-hmm. and they believe the worst things about you. In those moments, it's very hard to maintain any kind of perspective because sometimes you're not vindicated. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're never able to tell those people that they're wrong. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just oh, have man. to keep yeah. ministering to them. Yeah. And and you and and you know. Uh, that for whatever reason they strongly dislike you mm-hmm. slash hate you. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah well, I mean, I, I think I think specifically, I can share one quick example. Yeah. I mean, so we came in with a church planning background, and everybody knew that. Um, talking about you know, hey, let's be the church outside the walls of the building, and and all these kind of things, and um, you know that that was part of kind of what got twisted in that season was, oh look, this guy has come like. He's wanting to kick us out of the building, like, and so they took everything oh, that I had said geez. for two years about <laughs> church planting and let's be the church to this extreme of like, look, he's just wanting to sell the building, like he's wanting to get rid of everything. Yeah, so and, probably you can go take a vacation, buy a jet, exactly, exactly. And so um, I can't believe you would do that to these people. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was crazy. But I mean, honestly, the hardest part in that though, when things just kind of hit their peak was helping Jennifer, my wife, navigate through that. Oh, yeah. Um, because yeah. she wants to vindicate our family name. You know, she's like, that is not at all what our intentions were, you know? And it's sure. she's wanting to write everyone, correct everyone's wrong perspective. Right. And and it was a growing thing for her because it was the first time she'd really seen that side of church. Um, and it was a growing thing for me to learn how to, like, lead her through that. Right. And us work through that together. And really at the end of the day, like we had to realize our job is not to convince everyone of our heart. Like we, we, we can't, we can't do that. I was willing to have conversations with every person that wanted to have conversations. But at the end of the day, I had to make sure that my identity rested in, in who I was in Christ. 
yeah. um, not in how people had taken one thing or the other. And, um, and just letting go and letting, I mean, we say that cheesy phrase, <laughs> let, let, go. Go and let, <laughs> let it go and let God, you know, but it's like, but it's true. Though. Oh, you got to, you yeah. can't cause you will, you, and I think that's where a lot of people just, they quit ministry sure. is because they feel like people never understood me. So like I'm done. And we tried right. to be so careful as a family. I remember one not praying with our kids at the foot of our bed, wanting me just begging God in those prayers to protect how our kids see God, mm. even though this church and they were they were young at the time, like seven and five. Um, I mean, I mean they were they were little, um, but they were old enough to know something just wasn't right. right. And and just praying like God that they see the church is not perfect, but God you're still good. Ooh. Yep, you know in the midst of that, and it yeah it is. And we came out of that season like more in love with Jesus, more excited about ministry, wow. and it's only by the grace of God. But there was some deep work that I think God did in us in that season that's allowed us to kind of be where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, we could go we could go down yeah. this road, and I might have you back on if you're willing. We can kind of dig deeper into this because I yeah. think that could be encouraging. Before we move on, I think that I think the thing that is. The coolest part about that is that your family stayed intact. Mm -hmm. Your family still loves Jesus. Mm -hmm. your, your family is still involved in, in ministry with you. And you didn't burn out. Yeah, so praise yeah, God yeah, for that. Definitely. Um, so you made it through that. Mm -hmm. you, you get back to Virginia. You're at the Grove Church. And I know there's a, there's a lot to talk about there leadership-wise, but I want to dive into... The, the preaching side of things. Yeah. So yep. uh, when you're approaching, whether it's in a revitalization situation, church mm -hmm. planning, doesn't matter. Uh, when you're uh, approaching how you prepare and deliver a sermon, mm -hmm. I know you and I have talked before about how tension plays a role in that. Yeah. But I've heard you kind of take it to the next level, which I love, is that you sometimes purposefully don't resolve the tension. Mm. So can you talk about your your philosophy there and, and what that looks like. Yeah, well, I think the general principle that I work off of with that is, you know, I think so much of our training as pastors and leaders, and if you go to seminary, we are taught to be answer people. You know, it's mm -hmm. like we are the Bible answer men and women, and so you come to us and we will give you the answers. We will tell you everything <laughs> you need to know. So, we have books. We've yes. read. <laughs> we have books. We've read. We've wrote. We've, you know, all this stuff. And so, um, so I think there's this part of church culture in America that they expect that, you know, yeah. from us as pastors. And so, um, but I think what happens is um, it, it's a lot easier for someone to come to us and then we just give them the answer and then, and then, oh, okay. And then they move on with their life. But my thought is, and that my mentor is pressed into me is, are we robbing people of a discipleship moment there? Sure. Are we robbing them of the opportunity to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture and discover what that looks like? So what if we could start to even see to some degree our preaching as more of let's stir the pot a little bit sure. and get people thinking um, and then maybe our role is to guide them or point them toward what it would look like to wrestle with God over this specific tension or this specific area, rather than just giving them a three-step plan to resolve the tension at yeah. the end of the sermon. So, um, yeah, so that, I guess that's, we can maybe start there. That's kind of how my philosophy behind it is. Let's, let's not try to just be Bible answer people, but let's try to create some tension in the life of the people that we get to speak into um, so that they can discover really the joy of 
learning how to hear the voice of God and, and, and recognize that and dive into scripture and see how God uniquely wants to speak into their life rather than us just giving these cookie cutter answers that'll make people feel a little better at the end of our sermon. But I think it robs them of that uh, discovery experience that they get to have. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Because this was a huge transition for me. When I moved to Tennessee and started on staff at One Life, this was a huge part of the mm-hmm. culture. I know in our, in our network, because our churches are in the same network and we have some of the same ideas about how to pursue you know, uh, ministry and mm-hmm. uh, discipleship. And this issue of tension, and specifically not resolving the tension. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been talking about tension ever since Andy Stanley mentioned it 10 years ago or whenever he mm-hmm. wrote one of these books. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so tension is a, is a thing, right? But to purposefully not resolve it because... To resolve it would be to rob your mm-hmm. listeners of the their own journey. Yeah, yeah. So, and a lot of this comes from what Jesus, how Jesus taught. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on when you look at Jesus? He would ask these questions and not answer mm-hmm. them. Um, is that kind of mm-hmm. how you model yourself when you preach? Yeah. Well, I mean, I try to think. I mean, Jesus is a pretty good example for us to follow. <laughs> uh, so, you I know, just thought I'd give you a, a yeah. softball. Yeah, that was. Yes, yes, Jesus. Uh, but no, yeah. what I love, I mean, Jesus asked so many questions. Right. I mean, we look through the Gospels, and he, uh, even the questions that sometimes we think, why did he even ask that? Like, isn't it obvious? Like, Jesus still asked it. I mean, he would come up to someone who needed healing or, or was crippled, and he would come up and he would ask them, do you want to be healed? And it's like, why would you? Like, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Like, why would he not want to yeah. be healed? You know, yeah. but it's like, so... I don't know exactly why Jesus was doing that, but my take on it is Jesus wanted he wanted to make sure they were engaged in the process. And by saying, do you want what I have for you? Like it, it puts the tension on like they need to say yes, they need to respond to it. And so uh, the questions, though, I think are such a huge part. I, I've gotten to where pretty much now every sermon, every Sunday, um, it, in the opening part of my message, I'm posing a question. Um, that um, can help stir people up. Like like this this past week, uh, I leaned into you know what stirs you up, what stirs up your emotions. You know, so many things yeah. right now that are stirring up people's emotions. <laughs> yep. Um, but I transitioned that, and we had a long conversation about um, about compassion and and how God works. You know, God's so motivated with compassion toward us, and uh, you know what things stir up our compassion. And so it's just kind of this conversation about compassion but at, at the end of that you know it was like what what does this look like fleshing out in your life i mean like don't don't give god the cookie cutter answer of you know here's what compassion means for me but like how how are you going to seek out exactly where god wants you to be compassionate like, what are those roadblocks to your compassion right now and 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 i didn't dive into all of those questions and give people the answers i just wanted to build up their tension to recognize you probably have some things that you're emotional about right now. Um, you probably have some things that you're passionate about. Um, but is the compassion coming through in that? And so I kind of laid out a pathway for them to then, here, here's how you can go wrestle with God on this issue. That's, that's how I ended my sermon. I, I didn't say, okay, here's three, three great things you can go do to be more compassionate. Sure. I said, here's a pathway that you can follow to go wrestle with God this week mm. on how he wants to lead you to be a more compassionate person. So I try to think of, you know, how can I end my sermon not with giving them the answers, but how can I send them out with making sure they know how to go seek God this week? 
Um, rather than them saying, ha, ah, I sought God today, so I'm done till right, next done. Sunday. Yep. It's like, no, I want to stir you up with some tension and send you out to go wrestle with God and live this out through the rest of the week. Gosh, I love that so much. Well, you know, that, that, is, a, that is a huge issue here in, where we live in the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. where people are so inclined because of cultural Christianity to go to church on a Sunday, mm-hmm. hear the three points, go, cool, I, I did my thing, yeah. now I can go back to being whoever I am from Monday to Saturday, and I'll be back next week to, to basically do my time. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think by ending not with just, because, you know, application, we talk about application a lot. Mm-hmm. We want to give people the ability to to take and live out what we've taught. Mm-hmm. But I love the... The, it's kind of like application at the at a deeper level. Because yeah. you're not just saying, hey, go do these things. It's go wrestle with God about what it looks like for you to live these things out, which mm-hmm. then spurs the relationship, right? Because yep. if I'm going to wrestle yep. with God, what do I have to have? Mm-hmm. Oh, right? yeah. You know, you I've got to be talking yeah. to him. i got to know him. And, and mm-hmm. that's really the point, more than just go go be compassionate. Yeah. I would imagine that if, if people left your church on a Sunday and they acted more compassionate, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a win unless their compassion is coupled with their relationship with God. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. it's interesting when you talked about Jesus going to the, the, the person saying, do you want to be healed? I feel like a lot of sermons, our approach would be, let me tell you the three reasons why you should be receptive to my healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So listen to the sermon, yeah. and then I'll heal you. Yeah. Um, so you know, go, going back to, to to my transformation in this in this area, it's not just with sermons because mm-hmm. I was taught when I, when I was um, when I was a young minister, I had a mentor who told me, and this is genuinely what he believed, and he's not a bad guy. This is just what he believed. He said. You should be like an encyclopedia, mm. a Bible encyclopedia for people, where if they come up to you and they have any struggle, any issue, you got to you've got to answer from Scripture. Mm-hmm. If they have a question or attention about theology or doctrine or otherwise, you better have an answer from Scripture. You better know your stuff. So I really took that to heart, and I was really that uh, Bible. I was very insecure about not knowing the right answer and not yeah. giving the right answer. Yeah. And I would find myself in conversations wanting to clear the record. Right? If mm-hmm. anybody had the wrong idea, I'd be like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Time out. Mm-hmm. There are three philosophies on this, and this is the right one. Yeah. And the one you just said is none of these. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that would yeah. be heresy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I I learned over time that what I was doing was I was in in conversations I was robbing people of mm. the ability because if somebody's seeking they're spiritually uh, curious they're wondering about what their relationship with God might look like and then I come in with the answers. Yeah. Well, then there's no need for them to pursue anything. Mm-hmm. So, how have you found that your 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 approach to preaching is mm-hmm. also because I, I know this about you. Mm-hmm. It's also how you approach your daily life, your relationships with people yeah. off off stage mm-hmm. and away from the pulpit. So, what does that look like, and how do those principles kind of play out in your life? Yeah, well, I think it. You know, for um, yeah, I, I always go back to James James one um, nineteen and twenty, where it talks about being um, you know slow to speak and and quick quick to listen, quick quick to hear. And I think, you know, I tell my kids jokingly all the time, you know, it's great parenting philosophy that, you know, hey, God gave you two ears and a mouth for a reason. So listen to me before you talk back, right? <laughs> um, but I think for us, you know, the uh, for if we're going to be effective in this culture, just as disciples of Jesus, right, engaging people in this culture today, maybe 20 years ago, people were more aware of God. And so the starting point was a little differently, was a, was at a different point. Now, um, for us to just rush in and assume that we already know the answers that people need to hear, um, 
is is com- we're completely missing where we're at as a culture because the starting point's so different now. Mm. And so I don't think we can effectively have spiritual conversation with people in the hopes of getting the share of the good news of Jesus with them until we know where they're at. Um, because that, that starting point is so different now. And so for me to rush into a relationship or a conversation with a posture of wanting to speak first rather than listen first really just says, I don't understand the culture now. Mm. Um, and so I've really had to work through my tendency to want to dominate you know, a conversation and, and set the narrative all the time from like, I, I got to listen. I got to learn how to listen. Um, and until I can kind of know where that person's coming from, I don't really know how to speak. Like, I mean, I may have all the head knowledge in the world about something, but if I don't know where they're coming from, um, then I don't really know how to speak into that. I don't know. Jesus is good news. Like he is the good news. The gospel is good news, but I've got to know where they're coming from to then know how to speak that in a way that it is actually good to them. Um, and if, if I get that out of order, um, I can very quickly take something that is really good, but the way they'll hear it, um, it they shut it off and they don't ever receive it. So, so I've got to take a posture of listening so that I know how to speak in and what parts of my story do I need to share? I don't just need to give rehearsed Bible answers. Like I got to let people into my life and into my story. So I think somehow, some way, uh, like I just see, I think as we see in our network of our churches, God uses this to create some pretty unique conversation points throughout the week, before and after the service on Sundays, but it also just it changes the way that we preach and that we communicate um, from the stage as well. Yeah, that's huge. So you said something there that I want to I want to end on because I, I think our, our conversation has gone a little bit different than we planned, mm. but I loved uh, where this has gone. One of the things you said is that people have to be able to see into your life. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, and this is something that I feel like is, is changing and has been changing for a while, but for a long time, I, I feel like pastors had this pressure of we've got to appear as if we are above any struggle, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not just yeah. above reproach, mm-hmm. but we are above even the possibility of having a bad day, mm-hmm. of yelling at our kids, anything. Yeah. So how has, you know, when you think about spiritual conversations and tension and those questions, I know a lot of that has to do with the person presenting it, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to show that you're willing to live in some tension as well and and put that in front of people. So what does that look like? How do you kind of shatter that pedestal and allow people to see Mm -hmm. that you're a real person? Yeah, well, you know, I I think um, for just, just as a dad and as a husband, I mean, those... That's where it begins for me. Is I know when I when I step up on that stage on a Sunday morning to communicate, um, my wife and my kids already know I'm not perfect, and so um, and, and I want to win at home more than anything else. So if I step on the stage and there's not some element of weakness and vulnerability that I can figure out how to let that through, um, my wife and my kids are going to see me as a fake. Um, because they already know I'm messed up. Like those of you watching this, like your spouse, they already know you're not perfect. Your kids already know you aren't perfect. And I, and I've always just like, God's given me that awareness, at least more recently now, you know, since we've had kids the last 10 years or so, um, that I've got to be conscious of that. Yeah. And because I want to be real to them, like authenticity has to begin in the home. And so I, I want to carry that over to, 
to how I lead in our church. And so I think there's an element of, of course, we we don't want our you know the people in our church to think that we're like we're we're this complete broken mess <laughs> yeah. because then like that's not a leader worth following. Right, that right. There's not consistency there, but but to let them in to see that hey, just because like I'm standing up or just because I've been called to be a pastor. That doesn't mean I have this elevated level of spirituality that means I don't struggle with some of the same things that everybody else struggles with. And so, um, you know, I used an example recently of just talking about how God had been, he, he brought somebody to my mind that I hadn't talked to in a while. And it, it, it kept coming to my mind at awkward times. You know, I'm driving down the road and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to text this person or call them. And then I'd, I'd forget about it by the time I got parked. And this went on for like a couple months and it kept... These awkward moments where it just wasn't clicking, and um, and I just kept putting it off, and I, uh, I eventually finally followed through. Long story short, reached out to that person. We connected, had lunch, and they opened up and started sharing with me about some of the real struggles that they had been having over the last few months. Well, I immediately felt conviction because it was like that's why God was trying to get me to reach out to this person, and for whatever reason, I just kept putting it off and forgetting to do it. And I missed out on a moment to be there with them in, in their tension and when they were walking through that. I use that as a sermon illustration um, to say, hey, like I've, I've blown this too. Like as a pastor, there are times that um, I, I, I hesitate or I don't respond as quickly as I should. Now that doesn't need to be the normal pattern in my life, but I do that too. Sure. And so I think finding those ways, I th- so I think it has to begin at home because our family already sees us for who we are. And so um, we, need to, we need to channel that and talk about some of our flaws and our failures. But at the same time, our, our church needs this, we need to let them know that what we're inviting them to do is, is hard and, and we're, we're still trying to figure what, out what that looks like too. Um, and, and all that comes back to identity. You know, when we know as pastors that our identity is rooted in, in Christ, not in our performance, not in how our church sees us, but when our identity is rooted in Jesus, um, and, and who he says we are, I think that will empower us a little, to be a little more vulnerable, um, in front of our people. Yeah. And that is a learned skill mm-hmm. because I think if you've been beaten around enough by churches that expect a certain thing, mm-hmm. whether it's the revitalization, the church planting, yeah. uh, whether you're just the youth guy, it doesn't matter. You learn what people want and you, you can, at least this has been my experience mm-hmm. without really even realizing it, you can almost lose who you actually are just because you don't want to, you don't want to disappoint anybody. Yeah. Uh, most people who are watching can relate to this. We are we are pastors not because we hate people, because <laughs> we right, love people, right? right? Exactly. So we want to be liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be likable. And so you learn what people want, and it's very hard to not just find yourself becoming what you feel like people want you to become. Yeah. And I think sometimes like that can lead to hiding our, our faults and blowing up our our uh, strengths. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes if you feel like they want authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can really just, you know, magnify your faults and hold back your strengths. Yeah. And that can be a mess too, oh, like yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tension that, um, I, I think, you know, we come back to tension on this, yep. um, to bring before God, even as we're preparing, you know, to, to speak to our churches every week is, you know, okay, God, how, a little bit of me in this, like, so that they can identify to that. But of course, we don't want to over illustrate and use ourselves either, because then that that gives off a weird vibe as yeah. well. But um, you know, it, it's maybe not even so much about what we communicate, but is channeling it through, like, okay, how am I wrestling through this? And that may never come out in a sermon, 
But just to have, like, that's one of those filters I've built in is like, how am I wrestling through this? Like, yeah. just as a disciple of Jesus, before I speak about this, really, how am I wrestling through this, like, personally? What's this looking like in my family? And um, so I, I think if we just wrestle with that tension, I guess that's what it all comes back to. Right know? on. It's just wrestling with that tension, so... Well, man, this has been really good. For those for those listening, for those watching, where can they find you, learn more about you, listen to your sermons, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, well, our church uh, website is thegrovenox.org. Uh, we post our sermons and stuff on there. We uh, I do a we have a podcast you know, that just puts our sermons on. You can find us the Grove Church Knoxville on you know iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify. It, it's on there, but um, I, I don't we don't put out a whole ton of stuff. I do a, I do a midweek thing on Facebook. Um, so you can find the Grove Knox on Facebook as well. But um, yeah, so it's, I don't have a ton of stuff out there, but that is where you, you can find us. So Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for, for being willing to come in here, sit uncomfortably close to me <laughs> so that it looks decent <laughs> on camera and have this conversation. I really appreciate it. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. And um, uh, yeah, hope hope it's been an encouragement to all of you guys. Well, like I said, there's so much in there, and I know that was a huge encouragement to you. And I plan on at some point having Josh back on because I just I love his heart and I love uh, what he shares about his uh, his ministry experiences. So definitely leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about the interview. And again, if you're listening on one of the podcast players, be sure to leave a review. Go to preachingdonkey.com/21days to get your free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. And definitely go check out Josh Duncan's church, The Grove Church, and his sermons there. They've got a Facebook page, and you can go check out the website. Until next time, remember, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you, and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.